good to be back here in this place tonight uh, on this wintry evening. I think I've said it uh, about the past three weeks, but I love this time of year. And one of the reasons that I love this time of year is because it starts to get cold. Does anybody like the cold in here? All right. Yeah, you're my mountain people, mountain over beach people like the cold. Uh, and I love it because the cold brings some awesome things. Uh, means you can enjoy some hot cider or cocoa. You can eat chili, which I love. Uh, you can get a good fire going in the house. You can't do any of those things whenever it's hot outside. The cold brings snow. Obviously, we saw that. It was kind of crazy, almost an inch of snow. It's maybe the earliest snow I've ever seen since living here in Arkansas, which is been a whole life. Um, that was awesome, especially whenever you pair with football. Football in the snow. It's hard to beat that. It's incredible. Uh, I also know this weekend uh, there were some guys who ended up getting initiated. You have made it through pledge ship. So if you're in here, congratulations. Uh, that's a hard thing to do if you're not in here. Uh, it's probably because they're sleeping for two days straight after you get initiated. Uh, it's a hard thing, uh, but well done to y'all. As uh, I, was, I knew some of these guys who were getting initiated, and I was thinking about, man, that was a really hard thing to go through. It made me think of this question that actually is kind of leading into uh, what we're talking about tonight. And I I want us to all consider it. Consider this question. Have you ever experienced something so hard that you have no idea what to do about it? Something so hard that you're at a loss for words, you're at a loss for action, it's just happening, happening and you don't know what to do. Have you ever experienced something like that? Think about that for just a sec. I'm sure most of us have experienced that uh, before. I know there's so many things that I could say yes to in that, but one that has maybe the most prominent memory uh, or picture burned into my memory is uh, was for my junior year of high school. My junior year of high school, I uh, found myself in a unfortunate circumstance of being arrested. Um, if you've been arrested in here, I'm not gonna have you raise your hand because it's not cool. Uh, but whenever I was, uh, I was with some friends, we were doing things, you know, normal small town high school people do, uh, and the police decided to rain on a parade, and we all got arrested. And by arrested, I mean detained, I mean mug chocks taken, I mean fingerprints taken, I mean papers had to be signed. It was a whole ordeal. And whenever this was all happening, uh, I felt a lot of emotions, a lot of thoughts were going through my head. Uh, one, how the heck did this happen? This never happens. We never get caught. How do we get caught? Uh, I was angry that they caught us. I was like, man, why'd you guys have to do this? Uh, I was also kind of starting to get fearful about the ramifications <laughs> of what was to come. And for one of those reasons was because uh, they gave all of us an ultimatum. Uh, there were so many of us that were like, hey, we're not going to take all of you actually to jail. We're just going to do this right here. And so we need you to call your parents after we finish up to come get you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in that situation, uh, or whenever I was in that situation, uh, I, that was the last thing I wanted to do, was call my parents and have one of them come and get me. Uh, I rather would have just stayed there all night and slept it off and then drove home the next morning. But that's not the option they gave me. They said either do that or you actually do get to come to jail with us, and then you get to call your parents from there and have them come pick you up. Uh, so I chose uh, the first of the two options. I called my dad. 2.30 in the morning, dial him up, ring, ring, ring. It's 2.30 in the morning, ring, ring. If he doesn't answer, I'm going to jail, ring. And he finally picks up. And at this point, this, has been, this whole process had been going on long enough that I was very very much at a loss for words. I had no idea what to say to my dad. I didn't want to explain the whole situation on the phone. And so all I could get out was, uh, hey, dad, um, he knew where I was. I was like, could, could you just come pick me up? 
That's all I said. And he, he goes, what, what happened? What's wrong? Is everything okay? I was like, yeah, everything's fine. I just, I just, I could use a ride. Could you come get me? And he says, yeah, uh, definitely, I'll come get you. And so I sit there, and as I sit there waiting for my dad at 2.30 in the morning, uh, people's parents start coming one at a time to come get their kid who's also been arrested with me. And eventually we get down to the point where I'm like one of three people left, and I'm sitting like in the corner of the living room, and everything's happening over here, and I'm like head down, like I can't even look at anybody. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what, I'm gonna tell my dad, this is gonna be crazy. I'd seen all the looks of the parents' faces coming in to get their kids. I was like, oh no, what am I gonna do? And so by the time my dad gets there and walks through the doors, not only do I not know what to say, I don't know what to do. I just sit there, and I'm just like, And he walks in, and he kind of scans the room. He see, at first, he sees the police officers all standing here. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then he sees me. And the look of fear and confusion and just not knowing what to do, the kind of deer in the headlights look I had on my face was met with the look on his face, which was actually very reassuring. I was surprised. Um, but he gave me this kind of, it was kind of like a half smile and a little nod, like, hey, everything's all right. Like, don't worry about it. He didn't even say anything. He just goes over, talks to police officers, signs everything that needed to be signed in order for me to be released and to go home with him. Have you ever been in a situation that was so hard you didn't know what to do or say? Tonight, we're going to continue in Romans 8 and follow up what Josh talked about last week with the, the groanings that are happening. Josh talked about how when Paul writes to the Roman believers, he says, hey, we and all of creation are groaning. We don't even have anything to say. We're just groaning for Jesus to fix what is wrong, for Jesus to restore what is hard in our lives. And Paul's gonna continue on that theme and he's gonna want to show us that in the midst of that, there are two promises that he wants us to cling to. Two promises for whenever we are living in, in this idea of the already but not yet. It's not the upside down. It's not stranger things. It's the already but not yet. And that's basically that Jesus has come. He has lived this life. He has died this death. He has been resurrected. And he has ascended and he's the king now. But his kingdom in full has not quite yet come. And so we're in this kind of in-between period where groanings are happening. And the two promises that we're going to look at tonight in our text uh, is that the Spirit, where you can rely on the Spirit's help and the Father's guarantee. We're gonna look at the Spirit's help, we're gonna look at the Father's guarantee, and we're gonna be in verses 26 through 30 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and flip open there, get your pens ready. We're gonna dive right in. Look with me at verse 26. Verse 26 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. And so, again, we find that believers and creation, we're in this already and not yet, and we're groaning. And Paul says we have this one weakness that he specifically mentions. And the weakness is that in the midst of this, we don't know what we ought to pray for. Again, have y'all been in a situation that was hard enough to where you're like, man, I, I know I need help with something. I know that somebody else has to come in and do something for me. And maybe specifically, like, God, I need your help, but you just don't know what to pray for. Maybe it was the end of a relationship, whether a good or bad ending, maybe it was sudden and you just kind of felt shocked or heartbroken from it. You're like, ah, gosh, I don't even know what to ask for in this moment. This is, this is not fun. 
Uh, maybe it was something like the loss of a loved one, something that was like, man, this is, this is a tragedy in my family, in my friend group. I don't even know what to ask here. I just know this hurts a lot. Uh, maybe it's the general experience of, of hitting just rock bottom in life. I've been there before. I don't, even, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to climb out of this hole that I've dug myself in. And in each of those moments, all you know is that you need someone to come into it to fix it and to bring you hope, to bring you reassurance because you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. It's exactly what is going on here. And Paul, Paul's wanting us to see that this promise of God that the Spirit is gonna help us in these times is just like the promise and the, the truth that the Spirit has also the one that has adopted us into the family of God. Whenever he says in the same way, he's actually referencing like quite a few verses above this where we, we looked at, hey, we have been adopted in the family of God by the work of the Spirit. In the same way that he guarantees that he's gonna do that work, he's also going to help us. Uh, Jesus alludes to this fact in John 16 whenever he's talking with his disciples. Look at me when he says, or look at this with me when he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus names the Holy Spirit, whom he was gonna send so that the Spirit would come and dwell with our spirit as the helper, the one who would aid us. And so how does, how does the Spirit help us? Why is that a promise that Paul wants us to see? Well, let's keep reading. He says, but the Spirit himself, whenever we don't know what to pray for, intercedes for us through wordless groans. Uh, so again, we, we've already seen this idea that there is this aspect of us and creation, and we are groaning. It's like, man, there's so many things that are wrong and broken in the world. There's hardships in life that I'm facing, and I just I want Jesus to come and restore all things. And we groan because we don't even know what to, we don't know what to say. We just have the feeling. And in the same way, Paul's like, hey, the spirit, he groans too. It's wordless, but it's different. It's not the same, these groans of, I don't know what to do. It's actually groans of knowing exactly what to do. He's interceding for us to the Father. Interceding is just that the spirit is intervening on our behalf whenever we don't know what to ask for because the spirit, because the Holy Spirit has come alongside our spirit, he knows exactly what we need. And so he's like, hey, don't worry, I get it. You don't even know what to say. Let me take over. And he's literally asking the father, hey, this is exactly what he needs. This is exactly what she needs to keep going. We need to give that to her. Verse 27 he keeps going, and he says, and he who searches our hearts, God, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so whenever the Spirit is interceding for us, it's incredible, because the Spirit, because he's alongside our Spirit, he knows exactly what we need. But because the Spirit and the Father are also one in this way that's really hard to understand, whenever the Spirit goes to the Father, he's gonna ask ex for exactly what we need, and the Father's gonna know exactly what the Spirit's asking for because they're one. And so anytime God is providing that which we need, it's exactly what we need. Even whenever we don't think it is. <laughs> whenever we're asking, we're like, man, God, this actually is what I need. I'm gonna go ahead and ask you. And then God's like, I know that's what you think, but I actually have something better. Uh, 
I see this get played out a lot uh, with some friends that I have who have small children. They have some, uh, a couple of groups of friends who have little kids. And every time this happens around like three-ish, whenever they're like really like starting to talk and start going, and, but, but they don't quite know how to communicate completely. There's, there's one family that I know who uh, the, the oldest son, whenever he was like three, four-ish, he would, um, whenever we'd have dinner at their house, uh, he would always get super excited, especially if there's a lot of people there. And he was just like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. This is crazy. But then if you get upset about something, it would just like completely take over. And he's like kind of embarrassed, like always oh, upset in front of everybody. So what we'd be doing is we'd be sitting at dinner table and he's in like a real chair. I'm sitting in a real chair, but he's small. And so he's like, you know, on his knees and the table's like right here. And so he's like eating like this and, and he'll, get, he'll get going and then like he'll spill something. He's like, oh no, and then he gets frustrated. And then everybody's like, oh, hey, that's okay. And he's like, oh my gosh. And then he starts to get flustered and then he keeps trying to eat. And, and then all of a sudden he starts going, daddy, can I, can I, uh, I, I, I want, can I, I, can I, 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 dad, can I, uh, can I, uh, and then, and then the dad's like, buddy, do you want some juice? And he goes, yeah. And all he wanted was juice. But in the moment, he had no idea even what to say or how to say it. He's just like, I need, I need this, and I can't say it. And what's the dad do? He gives him the juice, because that's exactly what the father does. And, and a greater example, whenever we come into situations like this, where we know, we feel we're groaning, we need something. And we're like, God, this thing just, and I don't, it, it's crazy. Every time this happens, I feel like, oh gosh, I, I, I know I didn't, and I'm so, and we do the exact same thing. We don't even know what to say, but it doesn't matter because the Spirit helps us by interceding for us exactly what we need to the Father. That's the first promise that Paul wants us to cling to in these times of groaning, that the Spirit will help us. The second promise that Paul wants us to see is that that of the Father's guarantee. We have the Spirit's help, and we have the Father's guarantee, and we're gonna hang out here for a little bit of time because this is packed with some really awesome stuff. And so I want us to see three specific things about the Father's guarantee, and it's that God makes your bad good, that your good is secure, and that it only gets better. These are the three main parts of this guarantee that the Father gives us. And so let's just look at this first one. Keep going in verse 28. Verse 28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We love this verse, don't we? It's a good verse. You're like, man, you're reading the Bible, you're going through Romans, you're like, you're an eight, you're like halfway through and it's thick. You've been like grinding, like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so hard to read. Like, there's a lot of stuff. And you get to this verse and you're like, yes, yes. God's working out all things for my good. This is what I needed to hear today. We're gonna go conquer the day. It's gonna be incredible. We all love this verse, rightfully so. It's amazing. That's a great statement. However, I think it can be really easy to slightly misunderstand exactly what Paul is trying to get across in this verse and in the next couple of verses. One common misunderstanding that even I make sometimes, I just jump to this. Whenever I'm reading, God works out all things for the good of those who love him is that this idea of if I follow God, then just all the circumstances in my life are, are going to be better than the average person. Like, like if I start following God, I have this supernatural bubble to where whenever I'm walking through life and like suffering and hardship and tragedy comes, it just like is bouncing off. And I'm just like, wow, this is great. Like nothing's wrong. 
But that, that's not what God working out things for your good means. Rather, Paul's saying this. Remember, he's writing to these Roman believers who are suffering specifically because they're walking with God. And there is some immense suffering. They're getting killed. They're getting imprisoned for following God. And so what he's saying is, rather than what I just described, whenever you do face suffering and hardships in life, those things that make you groan in the already but not yet, whether they're big or small, whether they're the sufferings that he mentions in verse 18 or the weakness that he just mentioned in verse 26, whether it's whenever she says no to going out on a date, whenever it's you experiencing that maybe your parents had to declare bankruptcy, uh, whenever your friends leave you for some, for some reason or the friend group just completely changes and goes against you, if your parents have gotten a divorce, if you get rejected from grad school or specifically the one school that you really wanted to get into for graduate school, or, or you feel like, man, I'm still just not finding a job and I'm about to graduate, all of those things that all of us have experienced in some capacity, when those things happen, not that they won't happen, but when they do, God is working those things out for our good. He works things out for our good. Um, God does not, he also does not mean that these bad things are inherently good. The bad things that we experience or the hard things in life, maybe some of the real evil and brokenness in the world, it's not that those things are just good. Like this is just like a Band-Aid statement to slap over anything hard that you experience in life. Those things are genuinely hard. But rather, he is going to use those things uh, in order for you to move through them and become better once you move through them. Uh, one great example of this in the Bible is Joseph. If you've never read the story of Joseph, go uh, to Genesis, and you'll find this incredible story about this guy who is part of the original family of God, uh, of the, the family that would become the nation of Israel. And Joseph's brothers hated him because he was a favorite. And so they decided, you know what, let's kill him. But then they're like, oh, okay, maybe we don't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. And so Joseph gets taken into slavery. He gets taken to Egypt. And then he ends up getting bought by the king's house. And as he's working in the king's house, the queen falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. And he gets thrown into prison. And he's in there for years. And the people who are supposed to get him out of prison just leave him there. They're like, oh, sorry, we forgot about you. And he goes through evil after evil after evil after suffering after hardship and by the end of the story, God has worked so many of these things out in his life that he is able to look into his brother's faces who tried to kill him and then sold him into slavery and say what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because through all those circumstances, God raised Joseph up to a level to where he could save not only his family and his own people, but also the entire nation of Egypt from drought and from famine. It's one of the best stories in the Bible to show this point of real hardship, injustice, suffering, evil that somebody experiences, but then God works alongside their life in order to make it good. You guys already saw this picture because I jumped ahead. Matthew McConaughey, he wrote this book called Green Lights. Anybody read Green Lights in here? 
A few? Okay. Uh, I've only read a little bit of it so far. I'm working through it. Uh, but I did listen to him give this uh, really detailed interview explaining kind of all the concepts as to how he came up with the book. And the most interesting uh, that I thought was most interesting was that as with how he came up with the title Green Lights. Uh, if you read the book, you kind of catch on to it. Uh, but basically, Green Lights is this uh, motto, or kind of, not motto, but analogy that he uses for his life. And it's this idea that in life, you, have, you face green lights, you face yellow lights, you face red lights. Green lights in life is when everything's going right. You got your plans, you're working towards them, everything's jiving, it's great. Whenever he says, all right, all right, all right, that's a green light. Yellow lights are smaller obstacles that jump in the way. They, they don't derail you from what you're trying to do, uh, but you do have to overcome them. It's small hardships in life. But then there's red lights. And red lights are the things that happen in life that will completely derail your plans. There are things that feel like just complete tragedy in life that make you question everything. And in his experience, as he has experienced yellow and red lights and has continued living and continued trying to learn from them, the longer he goes, the more of the lights that he looks back on in life, the yellow and red lights, he actually sees them as green because he sees how they have worked out in such a way that he's learned something, he's matured in some way to where he's actually better now than before he experienced that tragedy or that small hardship of a yellow light. And so in the hindsight, all lights are green lights. He came up with that, and I think it's a really cool analogy because how much more true is that for God's people? Like for us who follow Jesus, if God's working out all things for our good, it's like, oh my gosh, all lights are green lights, even the things that are really, really hard. It's an incredible part of this Father's guarantee that he takes your bad and turns it to good. The second aspect of this Father's guarantee is that your good is secure. Your good is secure. In verse 29, Paul continues and says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So this good that God's working out in the lives of believers, it's a specific good. And it's the good of becoming more like Jesus. That is what God is working all things out for you, that you'd become more like Jesus. And he says that he is predestined that this would happen. There's a couple of technical terms in here. You gotta nail down to make sure we know what Paul's saying. When he says, does God foreknew, foreknow means to relationally know beforehand. And so before you ever existed, before your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents were ever a single thought, God knew you relationally before all of that. In fact, there, there's an aspect of that, like the Spirit bringing you into adoption. It's like, man, God, he, he is already knowing that this is happening. He literally knows you in a relational manner, which is outside of time, that's hard for us to grasp. But that's what he knows. He foreknew you in such a way. And he also predestined you, meaning that this thing that he's talking about, it's fixed. It was determined beforehand that for those that he knows relationally in this manner, you 100% will be conformed to the image of his son so that there would be many brothers and sisters, so that God's family would be built up. This is the specific good that God is working all things out for. So no matter how bad things in life are going, no, no matter what is happening that's causing you to groan, this is the one good that Paul's saying to cling to, that you will be made like Jesus, 
So you might be thinking, okay, well, why is that the good that Paul says that we need to cling to? Like, there's a lot of things that I'm thinking about that are, you know, maybe not necessarily related to becoming like Jesus. That would be really nice. Why is becoming like Jesus, like the ultimate good that Paul's deciding to tell us here? When we think about Jesus and just his life, his personhood, Jesus, he has the ultimate degree of love for the Father, the ultimate degree of relationship with the Father. There's nothing that stands between him and the Father relationally. We're gonna be made like that. We are being made like that. Jesus, he didn't worry about people's opinions to any degree because he was secure in his identity that the Father had given him. Jesus, he was able to face crippling anxiety and completely overcome it. He didn't, he didn't succumb to any of it. Jesus, he was able to look the most desirable sins dead in the eye and say, no, I'm not going to fall prey and become a slave to you. Jesus was able to live a very uncomfortable and simple, yet very content life, not being dominated by the ideas of worldliness and, and pursuing possession, something that just, our culture seems like it just falls to every single day. And the ultimate example is that Jesus, he fully knows God face to face like one day we will. Those are just a few of the reasons why becoming like Jesus that is the ultimate good, and that is exactly what is being promised to us uh, as believers. The third aspect of the Father's guarantee is that that good that is secured because God has said this is exactly what's going to happen, it only gets better. It only gets better. Look at verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, this section right here, is, some people call it the golden chain. There, there's a lot of technical words in here, but this is like the, the crescendo, the buildup of the verses that we're talking about tonight that it basically puts us over the edge to eventually what we're gonna talk about next week. In fact, it's not even the buildup of just those verses. It is the buildup of all of chapter eight. It's building up to Paul just laying down these facts. And it's not even just chapter eight. It is chapters one through eight builds up and crescendos to this statement that's gonna blast us off into this next truth to see that it only gets better predestined, who, those who God knew and adopted and determined to be made like Jesus, to be his brothers and sisters, for those he predestined, he also called. So that means whenever Jesus, after predestining, whenever he calls you, he is walking alongside the sea and he sees you like James and John fishing with your dad, doing your normal day-to-day -day life, and he says, hey, you, come follow me. And they drop their nets and they come. And then, and then he keeps walking, and later on he comes to Lazarus, to his tomb, the tomb of his best friend, and he weeps, he groans, he feels the suffering that we feel. And then after days of him being dead, he has the stone rolled back, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does. That's how Jesus calls to us whenever we begin to follow him. And those that he called, he also justified Justified being made right legally before God, even though me and you have broken every law in the book, even though you and I are completely guilty, no matter how you bend it, we are innocent before God, actually innocent. 
And it's only because Jesus fulfilled every law in the book. And for those who trust him, you have fulfilled every law in the book. And so now you are completely innocent. There is no condemnation for you. It's the very beginning of this whole chapter. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. It only gets better. Glorified being made completely like Jesus. This is the experience that we will have whenever the new heavens and the new earth come about. Whenever the groanings that we have are fully answered and all things are restored. Now, if this is when glorification happens, you might be thinking, well, why why does it not say we will be glorified or we are being glorified? And it's because for Paul, It is such a sure thing now because of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, because of being predestined, being foreknown, predestined, called, justified, because of all those things, it might as well have already happened. You, because you are in Christ, are glorified, and we will fully experience that whenever the new heavens and the new earth come and whenever Jesus redeems all things. Can you only hear like the hope and the encouragement of this? Imagine, again, imagine those situations in life, in your life, where you're like, I don't know what to do or say. This is so hard. And then imagine the life of the Romans who are being put on stakes, hung from walls and lit on fire to light the streets at night because they're Christians. And Paul is telling them this. This is all guaranteed if you are in Christ This whole list is not this list of technical theological terms to make us confuse or to debate debate over how salvation works. That is not Paul's point. His point is this is a guarantee from the Father. And the guarantee is that he is using every hard thing that you experience to progressively make you more like Jesus until you are eventually completely like him. That's the second promise that he wants us to cling to. Has anyone in here been broken up with before? Raise your hand. It's okay if you have. Don't worry. I'm being vulnerable. I also have. So this is a safe place. Being broken up with is never fun, especially if it doesn't go well whenever the breakup is happening. For some reason, the way we're wired, anytime a relationship is separated to some capacity, that hurts a lot. Uh, the first time I experienced heartbreak, or experienced heartbreak from yeah, being dumped was in fifth grade. I was in fifth grade, and there was a girl named Brittany, and she was awesome. And I was like, hey, we gotta hang out, we, we, gotta be, we gotta be something, and so that's what we do, we hung out, and we ended up being boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever that means in fifth grade, I still don't even know how that happens exactly, uh, but we're boyfriend and girlfriend, fifth grade, it's going great, weeks go by, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're hanging out at the playground, and it's like, oh man, you're with Brittany, that's crazy, and uh, it's, everything's going great, and then j- just a few weeks in, like four or five weeks in, uh, this guy named Zach, he comes around, and uh, Zach comes around, and here's the thing about Zach, um, Zach's taller than me, He's faster than me. He's a lot better at soccer than me. And he has better hair than me. Uh, and Zach comes hanging around and uh, he likes Brittany. And I started thinking like, oh man, I gotta like, I gotta keep this guy away. Like, you know, this is a good thing I got going on here. Uh, but it doesn't matter because he's bigger and stronger and faster than me and all that. And so just within a couple of weeks, I get dumped for Zach. Brittany dumps me for Zach. And that was, it was tragic. I was like, at this time, like Jason Braz was really big. And so I was listening to like Jason Braz music and like in my feels. And I was like, man, I got done. And she, you know, she dumped me on the playground classically. And so there's people watching. 
And it's just a lot of hardship and suffering that I'm experiencing in that moment. Now, you laugh, but that hurt a lot whenever that happened to me. Uh, and here's the thing, is because with perspective, I can look back at that and see, one, I'm in fifth grade. Come on, seriously. Two, it's like, oh, that's not a big deal. Like, you probably experienced that. A breakup happens, and it's like, okay, in hindsight, that actually isn't as big as a deal as it really felt, like the real hardship that it felt. And it's funny when it happens in fifth grade, and you can look back and be like, oh, huh, yeah, that was funny, playground getting dumped. Uh, but even, especially now, like, life feels a lot more real now, and, and like, there's a lot more ramifications if that happens. I experienced getting broken up with just a couple years ago whenever I felt like I was like really, like I had, I had a grip on what it meant to like date somebody and pursue somebody well. And it came suddenly. And that was like kind of like the second time that I experienced heartbreak from a relationship ending. And I hadn't experienced something like that to that degree. And I was talking with, you know, with guys and, and people who were giving me wise counsel about it. I was trying to figure out like, man, how do I, why am I hurting so bad from this? And it was a few months of kind of working through that to where I could get to a point to where I could look in hindsight and see that, man, I felt like I was in a really good place, but I was actually kind of idolizing just relationships in general. I was kind of fuzzy on what it meant to like really be able to pursue somebody well with the, with the right mindset towards it. And the, that getting ripped away from me and how much that hurt, God letting that happen to me and then working that out, it ingrained in my mind these truths that, that because I now know, I'm way better off for it. Like, I, I'm way better off in, in relationships and even just relating with people generally, and I, I praise God for it. Do you have that experience that you can look back on and see that, man, God really did work that thing out for my good? I'm sure you do, because for believers, that's what God's doing. He's working out all things that we would become like Jesus. Whenever I got home with my dad the night that I got arrested, he told me that um, he, he's like, hey, we're not gonna talk about it right now. We'll talk about it in the morning. Uh, and so I went to bed. I uh, didn't sleep a whole lot. It was like 3 a.m. by that point anyway. And uh, morning came around. I was like, okay, I gotta go face my dad. So I went downstairs. We started talking. And he wasn't mad. Uh, he didn't make me feel bad about it at all. Uh, in fact, he told me, he's like, hey, like, obviously you made these choices to get here. And I'm sorry that you even ended up in that situation. Like, this sucks. Like, you're gonna have to deal with a lot of ramifications because of this. But, you know, you're about to go into your senior year of high school and then you're gonna go to college and you gotta figure out what it means to take responsibility for these things. You gotta figure out how to handle the consequences of life based on your decisions and move forward from them. And then he told me something that was, it kind of just changed the way I, I thought about life generally. He said, he said two things. You will learn from these. I know you will. So that gave me confidence. Like, oh, this is something that I, I can look back on, I can learn from. It's not a tragedy. And the second thing that he told me was that both now and when you're grown, whether things are really good or things get really bad like they feel like now, I'll be here. Like, you can come to me. Don't worry about it. And in him telling me that in a time where I didn't know what to do, I didn't know what to say, I couldn't really see the end of the thing that I was experiencing, it shifted my focus and how I was thinking about life. Because in a moment that I really needed it, where I couldn't say anything, I couldn't do anything, I didn't know what to do, my dad both interceded for me and brought me what I needed, and then he gave me a guarantee 
that I've clung to since then. Even now, almost 26, have a little bit more life than I did in high school. I still think about the fact that I can go to my dad whenever things get really hard, whether it's just for somebody to, to explain and to vent some of my hardships on, or if things really hit the fan and I need his help, he will be there for me. And so we have the Spirit's help and we have the Father's guarantee. And my challenge for all of us tonight is to simply remember it. In those times where you feel like, man, God's distant, he doesn't feel like he's with me, remember that he's intimately working things out in your life. Whenever everything seems to be going not the way that you hope for and there's a lot of hardship coming, remember that it is the specific good of becoming like Jesus. That is what I can cling to and that is what is guaranteed. I promise that if we remember the Spirit's help and the Father's guarantee, no matter how much suffering we face, no matter how much groaning happens, we can look to Jesus because he suffered first, he went before us, and he will bring us through that. So that's what I wanna challenge you as we leave today. What are the things in your life that, that are hard that you need to attach this, these two promises to in order to keep faithfully following Jesus and know that, man, he's got my back on this. Think about those things. Let me pray. We're, we're just gonna finish the night with worship. Father, thank you so much um, for your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you for these promises that you give us in scripture that you... Uh, you don't just put cheap phrases to try to live life by, but you give us deep truths that are rooted in who you are and what you've done um, that completely dictate uh, how we can live if we remember them. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that by you helping us, you would help us just continue to remember that you, you will help us through intercession and that we have the Father's guarantee of all these things and that if we are in Christ uh, by trusting in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, that these promises are for us, they're real, and we can tangibly experience them. So help us experience them this week. We love you, God. Thank you.